Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Acts 4, 1 through 4. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Well, in 1900, there was about 100,000 Christians in China. It's estimated today that there are over 100 million. Isn't that amazing? 100,000 to 100 million in just 120 years. It's estimated by 2030 that there will be 247 million Christians in China. How has that happened? What can we learn about the kingdom growth in China as we think about our mission here in Los Angeles of how to grow God's kingdom? Well, in China, during the Cultural Revolution of the 60s and 70s, Christians worshipped behind closed curtains. They had Bibles that were smuggled. Uh, They would sing with whispers. They hid their Bibles under their mattresses. You know why? Because if they were discovered any of that, they would go to jail. In 2017, the state had reiterated that house churches were illegal. You're not allowed to participate in any religious activity. You're not allowed to have a Bible study. You're not allowed uh, to worship. You're not allowed to even give your money away to the church unless you have the approval of the state. And so a church can avoid all troubles if they register under what's called the Three Self-Patriotic Movement. And so uh, Jin Yu, one of our members and I, were texting uh, this week about this, and she was sharing with me uh, a story of how in 2019, she was at a church in Beijing, and they were preaching on the text that we're going through today in Acts 4. And the theme of the pastor's sermon was how... Will we literally prepare ourselves for jail? And that is very similar to what we see in our passage here today. And so uh, I want to give us just a quick recap. We've been going through the book of Acts. And in that, uh, we saw that Jesus resurrected, that he proved his resurrection for 40 days. Then he ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit, which was poured out over all his people to empower them to be his witnesses, starting in Jerusalem and going all the way to Los Angeles to the ends of the earth, right? Peter and John then perform the first miracle. 
And so if you remember that from a couple weeks ago, they're on their way to the temple. It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the time for regular prayer. And as they're making their way up, they come across a guy who is lame. He can't walk since birth. And he's asking for money. Help me out a little bit. And so they see him and they say, gold and silver we do not have, but what we do have we give to you. Rise up and walk. And they take him by the hand and they help him up and he leaps up for joy. And he goes into the temple to worship God, to sing. And he goes in walking and leaping and everyone sees it. And they're like, whoa, that's the crippled guy that we've seen for decades. This guy's in his 40s. Look at him. And they're all astounded, and they try to make sense of it. And that's when Peter delivers his sermon to help them understand what's happened here. And so he tells of all the prophets' words about Jesus and shows how the the whole Old Testament is about Jesus And he builds this bridge, showing them everything you believe about what the prophets said has been fulfilled in Jesus. Problem, that Jesus you killed. But God raised him. You killed him, but God vindicated him. And so now there's hope for you. If you repent, and we talked about that word repent, meaning to to change your mind. If you change your mind on Jesus you will receive forgiveness and you will be reconciled to God. And so Peter and John are out there. Peter's making this sermon. And as he's making it, word gets out and here comes the temple guard. What is going on over here? Like, stop these guys right now. They come out with the Sadducees who are a religious faction. They're uh, kind of the aristocrats. They're charged with um, kind of running the temple. And so they all come out together. Peter can't even finish his sermon, and here we are. Peter and John are in trouble. Now, the Sadducees, if you remember, they believed in a Messiah, but they believed in a very personal, national Messiah, a Messiah that would come and take care of their specific problem, one that would free them from the oppression of Rome. The Sadducees also believed... There was no resurrection. And so here we've got Peter and John, and they're preaching, saying, the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. And these guys are like, are you kidding me? And they're angry. They're annoyed. They're frustrated. And they're offended that Peter and John are proclaiming Jesus as the resurrected Messiah, and they are offended that they are teaching that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that there is one way, and it is through Jesus. So what do they do? They arrest them. They throw them in jail for the night, and then later they bring them forward to the council and ask them some questions. Let's take a look. We're going to look at two verses here uh, from chapter 4, verse 7 and 13. Verse 7, they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Here's what they ask. By what power or what name do you do this? Speaking of the healing of the lame man. 
A little further down in the chapter, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that all these men had been with Jesus. All right. So, their complaint, these guys are not authorized. They're here preaching in the temple, and they do not have the authorization of the state. And not only that, they don't have the training. They are not professional. And so just like the Chinese underground church, we see it here. Not authorized, and they're saying wrong head of the church here. The other thing that they're saying is this. We don't like your exclusive claim that the only way to God is through Jesus. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Have you heard that? Well, guess what? It was the same thing in the first century. It was a problem there, too. But see, the problem is this, that the Sadducees had an exclusive claim of their own, right? And so it's not that one is an exclusive claim. It's that both the Sadducees and the Christians had an exclusive claim. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book, Reason for God, has a great chapter on this where he talks about how every claim against exclusive claims is itself an exclusive claim, right? And so if you say, hey, I don't like that, you can't make an exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way, well, guess what? That statement is an exclusive claim to say it has to be my way, your way is wrong. And so if we're honest, everyone is exclusive in their claims. And so then it raises some questions. Um, even that principle to say you can't make an exclusive claim, you know where that comes from? That comes from white Westerners. If you go to... Asia, to South America, to Africa, to the Middle East, those folks are all making exclusive claims. And so really to say you can't have exclusive claims is imperialist. So the question then becomes, which exclusive claim are we going to believe? And Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive claim. If people say, well, you know what, I, I think that all good people can go to heaven, right? Well, that is an exclusive claim there. What about if you're not good? What about people who think mean things about others? People who say mean things. What about people who are selfish and self-centered? What about people who have said things and done things that they're ashamed of? What hope is there for them? Or rather, I should say, what hope is there for me? What hope is there for you? Well, the gospel is exclusive 
because no other faith makes the claims that it proclaims. No one but Jesus says, my blood has been poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. No other religion makes that claim. Mohammed does not claim to save anyone. Neither does Moses. Neither does Buddha. And that's because no one else can. The reason that Christianity is exclusive is because Jesus is the only one that proclaims that his life will save people. His life. And not just some people, but all kinds of people. People to the ends of the earth. And this is the beautiful gospel that Peter and John are preaching. And they are willing to suffer for it. And so what's the result? Well, let's take a look at verse 4. There it says, But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So what's the result? A ton of people believed. Just days before, the number was 120. Now days later, 5,000. Incredible. This incredible expansion, growth in a very short time. Jesus suffers not just for them, but with them. And that is what stirs this belief. I think in our own culture, uh, we love to hone in on that first part, that Jesus has suffered for us, right? He's taken our place That's good and beautiful. But that second part, that Jesus came to suffer with us, is a little tougher to hear as Americans. You mean we might have to suffer? We don't like that. And that's where I think the the Chinese underground church has so much to teach us to say, okay, let's prepare for suffering. How are we going to go about getting arrested? Amazing, right? The Chinese underground church gets that Jesus came to suffer not just for them, but with them. In the 1980s, as things had kind of loosened up a little bit in China, and there was a loosening of persecution on the church, the older generation would say, oh, no. This younger generation, they're going to have a weak faith because they haven't gone through any persecution What shall we do? Do we pray for persecution? Well, they didn't even have to, right? Persecution came. It came again. And that uh, persecution uh, has returned, and what we are seeing is millions and millions are coming to faith in Jesus because of it. What we see is that Jesus becomes their new identity. He becomes our new identity. Let's take a look at verses 12 and 13. Salvation, actually, that's not where we're going. Back one there. All right. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 
When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. What's incredible here is that these guys are not educated, and yet they speak with incredible confidence. These guys are willing to suffer because they are free of guilt and shame. And the world sees them, and they are astonished, and they recognize them as Jesus people. These are the guys that had been with Jesus. And that's our hope for us, that we want the world to see us as Jesus people that have confidence, that have no guilt and shame, who are willing to suffer and lay down their lives for others, and that the world would go, ah, Jesus people, they've been with Jesus. And so I want to leave us with just a few things here as we close uh, our sermon today. Uh, for us as we are beginning to particularize. Not beginning, we are particularizing today. Uh, One, that we are called to be witnesses of Jesus. And so that means that our faith must be public. I want to remind us too that the church grows under persecution. So that means we must be willing to suffer for it and we'll only do so if we see it as worth it if we've experienced Jesus, if we've experienced that end of guilt and shame, then we will be willing to suffer for others for it. That also means we can't get mad when we suffer, right? As Americans, we go, suffering? Wait, no, I've got rights. That is not happening here, right? But that's not what we see. We don't see that in Acts. Peter and John go, hold on a second. No, we're, we're Jewish guys. We can be out. They go, okay. Arrest us, fine. You know what we're going to do? We're going to keep preaching Jesus. We're going to keep suffering. So we can't get mad when we suffer. And the only way that we don't do that is by being empowered by God's Holy Spirit. That is what will equip us to suffer well. Lastly, I want to just remind us that Christianity makes the most inclusive exclusive claim. And so we offer it in hope that we can be reconciled to God because of Jesus, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, because of his ascension that he's ruling and reigning now. Because of all those things, we have hope. And it's good news because it's not based on me. It's not my performance. It's not my accomplishments. It's Jesus's. And we offer it not just to people like us, but we offer it to all. Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word this morning. Thank you for this challenge to be public with our faith. Thank you for uh, this encouragement that you equip us by your spirit to do it, that we are not on our own. And Lord, thank you for this reminder that your kingdom grows through suffering. And so, Lord, by your spirit, equip us to suffer well, not complaining, uh, but preaching, but proclaiming the gospel. And Lord, help us to offer it 
not just to people like us that have the, the same views that we do, the same morals that we do, but to everyone, that it is good news to all. And so, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.